Welcome to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast with your host, Chris Durow. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives and works in Burlington, Ontario, and runs an advisory practice named Three Hats Financial. Let's get to it. This is it. The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth with Chris DeRoe of Three Hats Financial. I'm Patrice Sikora, and welcome to part two of a two-part series on retiring well. In the first episode, Chris reviewed planning for the transition to retirement. In this episode, he goes over the money side. And Chris, I would guess the biggest concern of people thinking about retirement is, will I have enough money? Thanks, Patrice. Yes, today we're definitely going to be speaking about the quantitative part of retiring, meaning the money side of it. Uh, I'm happy I said that word properly, quantitative. I always <laughs> struggle sometimes with that. <laughs> so, and then last episode, as we meant, as you just mentioned, we focused on speaking about the qualitative side of retiring and going through that process on basically helping people figure out what the heck are they retiring to? Because we went through, most people know what they're retiring from, but they don't exactly know what they're retiring to. And Absolutely. then- they have to have a plan to deal with that. So that was the last episode. Today, if I had to kind of summarize what we're going to be discussing, I use sometimes the analogy of, have you ever been driving to a destination wondering if you have enough fuel to get there? Oh, and you it's fixate not... on the on the fuel gauge, yes. Yeah, and I probably have this happen to me more so than ever, most people, sorry, because Tina does not like to fill up the car. So I'm very <laughs> used to this feeling. Especially when I'm in a rush with the, with the yellow fuel light on. But anyways, because I'm probably a little desensitized to it, but for most people, it's a very unsettling feeling for the driver. Or even can even be the passenger. Mm -hmm. The passenger may probably even more because they have less control. But that same emotion, discomfort, and distress underlies a retiree's fear of running out of money one day while in retirement. So today I want to go through some tips to help pre-retirees figure out that question that everyone asks as they start getting close to retirement, how much do I need? So where do you start? Yeah. So we'll go through three different areas today. We're going to start with how do you know how much money you need and figure out your cash flow? We're going to talk about debt and retirement since that is an area that is increasing. Um, there's all kinds of stats and stuff on that and it's something that needs to be addressed. And then we're going to just talk about how you take money from your portfolio as well in retirement. And that might be a little bit more in depth than people think. So let's start out with what someone's cash flow may look like in retirement and how they can get an idea, just simply how much they need. First, they need to work through what we call as like a retirement expense shift worksheet. Big fancy name kind of, but basically what that is, is it's just a sheet of expenses and it has four columns at the top. So it's going to take all your expenses and like your housing costs, transportation costs, lifestyle costs, all that stuff. But it puts four columns at the top that says goes away, goes up, goes down, or a new expense. That's just simply check marks. And what that is is for the pre-retiree to go through this call, this worksheet and discuss with their spouse, okay, you're not putting dollar values here at all. There's no dollar values in this sheet. It's just simply check marks. What do you think out of our expenses will be going away or increasing? So things like maybe a 407 ETR bill will go away for traveling because you're not driving as much. Maybe your hobby expenses goes up. 
what goes down? Is there going to be a new expense in retirement? It's just getting an idea first of what expenses will even be there or not be there before you actually get into the dollar value amounts. Now, where can they go to get one of these uh, worksheets? So if you want an idea of, of what this looks like, as always, many resources from our podcast, you can go to our website at threehatsfinancial.ca. And at the top of the website, you'll see things like blog, podcast, and you'll see the resource tab and just hit the resource tab and you'll, you'll be able to see what that sheet looks like. And you can even print it off from there. Okay. So what's the next step? So now we've done that. We've identified what expenses will even be there or if they're going to go up or go down. Now with that sitting beside you, you're now going to go through what your expenses will actually be. To do that, you're going to have to fill out a cash flow sheet. So once again, if you need one of these, we've mentioned in previous uh, episodes, just go again to the resource section. You'll see one of our cash flow sheets that you can print off and use. So you're going to start by going through your expenses and putting down conservative amounts for these monthly expenses. So what I mean by that is, say you have a cell phone bill that fluctuates between 80, 100 bucks a month. Well, use the $100 figure for your expense. Don't use the lower end of that. It just gives you that buffer. Because at the end of the day, when we're doing this for people or working through it, you could literally do one of these every month. It's going to be a bit different. We just are trying to get an idea of what that cash flow need looks like. You're going to make sure that you get all of these expenses recorded. If you have trouble trying to figure that out, it's simple nowadays with, with the online banking and everything else. Just go on your credit card statements online or your banking and just go back. I even like to say go back for 12 months because it's just more accurate and see what expenses are there go through them and put them on the sheet. Now for things such as utilities or things that fluctuate over 12 months, let's say a heat bill, obviously it's more in the winter than the summer. Go back over the 12 months and add up the total and just simply divide it by 12 or just take the more expensive months and use that as what you're going to use every month since you know that's giving you a very conservative buffer mm -hmm. by putting that in. Now, while you're doing this to figure out the expenses, it's good to look at the daily living column. On our cash flow sheet, that's what it's called. Basically what that is, is the discretionary expenses. So let me, Patrice, spend a bit of time here just to explain the differences. Yeah, okay. So for expenses, you're going to have two types. You're going to have non-discretionary. Those are things that are coming out no matter what, meaning your mortgage, your property tax, your maintenance, your utilities, your cell phone bill. Those things, they're coming out no matter what happens each month. These are things that you have to pay. They will be there. Yes. Discretionary is the fun stuff. And that's usually what gets people in the most amount of trouble. Those are hobbies, entertainment, clothing, trips, all that type of stuff. Now, actually, this may sound weird to people, but groceries is in there as well, too. Yes, you need food to live, but you can easily choose how much you spend on that. So that's why it's also in that column. But it's really important to understand there is the two different types of expenses because we'll touch on that a little bit more, why it's important to know that. So are the non-discretionary expenses, Chris, basically set? And then the discretionary, because if you're including food and discretionary, as you said, it's up to you on how much you're spending. So discretionary can be up and down, but the non-discretionary, they're pretty much set in stone. Yeah, they're pretty much set in stone except for things like utilities and stuff right, like okay. that. But yeah, you're right. Discretionary, I always say, is that like fuel in your car is non-discretionary because if I have a bad day at work, I'm not going to go overfill my gas tank. If I have a bad day at work, mm -hmm. 
I may be stopping at the liquor store or going out for a dinner or doing something with some buddies because I just had a bad day. Well, those are discretionary expenses. And for most people, when we go through the cash flow, if it's out of whack, you see that they're mostly spending too much in the discretionary portion of their cash flow. And that's usually what's kind of causing the issue. A good rule of thumb for people with that is you want your discretionary to be no more than 25% of your net after-tax monthly income coming in. That's just a good idea to stick around that. If you do this exercise and you're at 35, 40% of your income going to discretionary, then that's that's a big issue. And that's usually what tends to get people in trouble. Another expense that I like people to add to the, the sheet under financial op- obligations is, is actually a contribution to a separate bank account or their tax-free savings account. And I'll get into why. But I like this savings amount to be roughly around 10% of their net monthly income. That's, this is, that's pretty oh, considerable, isn't it? 10%? It can be, yes. Okay. But that's for individuals that have no debt because I'll get into if you have debt, it's gonna, you're starting to get into more it being more difficult than putting that amount of money away. Mm-hmm. But this this is for unexpected expenses that are going to come up in retirement. Some retirees that I see, like a lot of them like to have a chunk of cash sitting in their checking accounts because it makes them feel warm and comfortable and secure. And banks like to have that money sitting there because they're not paying you anything on it. But a lot of retirees will sometimes have too much money sitting in there. And my preference is to have that money sitting in a separate account away from the everyday operating account, which is basically your checking account for a couple of reasons. It earmarks the money for the unexpected expenses, but it also, it just doesn't get blended into that day-to-day activity and just sitting in your account. So even in retirement, people should still be saving or putting money away. And this sometimes throws off some retirees because they think they don't need to do that in retirement. Now, should you put this in an account that is earning something though? Because as you pointed out correctly, banks are not really paying anything on savings accounts. Ideally, you put it in a high interest savings account or something that makes you something. But unfortunately, in this environment, that is becoming much more difficult to do just because the interest rates are rock bottom. Nobody is going to be getting a whole ton of interest on their money in high interest savings accounts. But at the same time, this money can't be like invested in something aggressive because the money needs to be there for unexpected expenses that may be coming up in the next 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. You can find some things like for clients last week, I found an online bank that had a intro for five months at 2.5% interest. Oh my. And yeah, so banks do that because they want to obviously entice you to, to sign up with them, new accounts, and then keep your money there. And then I hope after the bonus frizzles out that you're just going to keep your money mm-hmm. there. So there is some options. You just have to be creative and active in finding them and moving your money if that's something you want to do to, to get that higher interest. But the whole point of this is that you need to have some money going away for those unexpected lump sum expenses that will be eventually coming up. Okay. So you put it away and you kind of, you don't forget about it, but you don't touch it. Yeah. Except for once those, ex- those expenses come right, up, this is right. not for like, okay, we want to go out to dinner tonight. We're going to grab from that savings right. or, or safety account. Now let's go back and touch on like, if there's debt and mortgages and I'll get, and that will be more in the second component, but let's just say there is debt and a mortgage or car payment. Obviously you got to pay that off. So saving 10% of your net income is going to be a bit, for some people is going to be more difficult. And even while there is debt, you still should be having some money go to that separate account. And you may say, well, that doesn't make sense. Like I'm 
paying debt and there's interest on that. So why would I not just have 100% of my income going towards that? The reason for that is you want to have something saved aside from that, just once again, for those unexpected expenses, because it's not if, it's when they will come up in retirement. And you want to have that pocket of money. You don't want to just keep jumping on a line of credit or credit cards for those unexpected expenses, because that can start to snowball, especially if you all of a sudden start having multiple unexpected expenses come up. Of course, everyone's lifestyle and cash flow and needs and that are all different. I'm just trying to give as much of a generic picture as I can with this and give people some idea to start thinking about of what they need to do getting close to retirement. So now we've figured out roughly how much you will need in retirement by going through the retirement shift expense shift worksheet and the monthly cash flow form. Hopefully the discretionary expenses are under 25%. You've got the non-discretionary. Hopefully you got some money going into savings, which is obviously the ideal. Now for the income part, because in the cash flow sheet, there is a place on that where you want to put your income. Cash flow is not just expenses. It's money coming in and money going out. Mm -hmm. So we need to address both of those. First thing you need to do is write down all the sources of income that will be coming in for your retirement. So such as CPP, OAS, employer's pension, if you're lucky to have that, and potentially part-time work. Maybe if you're choosing a gray retirement, and I will speak more about the gray retirement uh, later in the podcast. After you take those guaranteed sources of income, such as I just mentioned, CPP, OAS, pension, you want to now subtract that from your monthly cash flow needs to figure out if there is still a gap. That is the amount that needs to come from your portfolio. So up until now, you have not even touched the investment portfolio. This is all things that you have coming in separately from from that. That's great. Yeah. And a lot of people just come in, they, they tend to forget some of those sources, which sounds funny. You think they wouldn't, but it's a little overwhelming for them. And they're thinking they have to just pull a whole bunch out of their retirement. But so this is why we want to run through this first to see, okay, let's see what you have as guaranteed income. And what does that cover? Now, the difference is the amount that needs to be coming out of your portfolio. I would think that would make people feel a lot better because I, again, I, as you said, retirees probably look at the in, the investment portfolio and think, oh my gosh, is that going to be enough? Can I can I live on that? But that is not the only source of income. No, and they tend to forget that, and that's why we want to now we want to go through that. Now, some people, of course, are fortunate to have more guaranteed sources of income than others, but regardless, this is we're going through this planning with everyone to help help them figure it out. So let's go to the second part: debt in retirement. Statistics Canada has said that one in three retirees hold some form of debt. And I have to admit, over the last decade, I'm definitely seeing more retirees retire with debt than I have in the past. Obviously, the ideal, everyone knows this, is that you would prefer to retire debt-free, but sometimes it's out of individual's control since maybe they're pushed into retirement sooner than they would like. They have to help adult children. There's a whole bunch of scenarios that they just didn't see it going that way. And that has to be addressed. So you obviously, you need a plan to deal with that. First thing is you need to take an inventory of all your debt, listing all the sources of your debt, amounts owed, interest rates and repayment terms, all that fun stuff. From there, you can start to prioritize how you're going to pay off everything. So first you're focusing on the high interest debt and getting that paid off and making your way down the interest rate ladder basically just paying off the high interest rate debt and then going to the next one and so on and so on. And you need to make sure that you're putting those payments in the cash flow sheet so that you're, everything's on that one sheet so you can get a good snapshot of all this. 
When it comes to debt, it doesn't matter if it's retirement or not. I'm just a big fan of simplifying it because obviously simplifying your money just makes things work better. And by doing that with the debt, I mean by putting that on a low interest home equity line of credit, if possible, that's one of the better solutions. So what that does is it decreases the interest you're paying. And by doing that, what does decreasing interest mean? It means you're increasing cash flow overall. And that now allows you to put more against the debt. Banks do this when people come in to renew mortgages. Of course, they're like, yes, let's, let's consolidate and put it into a mortgage, which is great because it's going to be lower monthly payments, less interest. Sounds fantastic. But the problem is if you don't have a plan to change the behavior, mm-hmm. all you're going to do is after your three, five-year term, you're going to be in the exact same position again. The risk of doing this is that you don't change anything and you just keep racking up now the credit cards that are empty and ending up with more debt, which of course is not what we want to do. Right. So that's changing behavior there, as you just said. Yeah, that's that's a whole other conversation. And our three hat <laughs> our three hat process. The second hat is money mindset, where we spend a lot of time going through an individual's money mindset because it's so important to figure out how they tick in regards to how they think about money because everybody's is different. Now, getting back to that home equity line of credit, I'm not trying to put a commercial in here for Manulife, but I really do like a home equity type thing that they have, which is called the Manulife One. The reason why I'm bringing up Manulife's name is simply they're the only ones that have this all-in-one type product. So I don't even have a comparison from another company. But we've used these for many of our retirees since it puts in place for them a very simple way to simplify their banking and consolidate their debt, pay less interest, and gives them a place that they have an emergency amount of funds in case they need it right away. Even for clients that don't have debt, we still use a Manulife once. It gives them the option of accessing money right away if needed. Or even like if the market is down significantly and you need to make a lump sum purchase, it really in, in the short term, you can use that money and even wait for a portfolio to recover a bit. We just find this really helps people increase their financial flexibility. And that's why I want to mention it because it's basically like a home equity line of credit that helps people simplify and put all their debts in one and have a lower interest rate. So whether you use that or home equity line of credit is up to you, but I just, some people have never even heard of that other option. So now we've addressed the debt. Let's now talk about how to take money from your portfolio in retirement, which may just sound simple, but there is actually quite a process to it. (laughs) Now that we know the amount, we need to figure out, okay, how the heck do we take it out? There's many resources that you can see on the internet. If you Google that question, how much do I take from my portfolio in retirement? It's going to say anywhere from three and a half to 7% per year with around 5% being the average, which is a relatively decent number since your whole hope in all of this is that like the ideal for retiree is it's paying you out the income you need, but you're never encroaching upon the principle of the portfolio. You're just simply using the interest that you're making off the portfolio, which would be fantastic. So that number can on average be around that 5%. And there's so many different answers to this, but that is the most common of the average is that 5% number. There's way more factors to be involved than just saying, take 5% out of your portfolio, but I'm just trying to give people once again, an idea. Of course, this is the ideal, but you, you can't just set and forget it. You're not just going to set an amount to come out and just forget it and not even, never ever look at it again. Cause obviously that's not going to work. There's way too many variables in retirement to just, set a certain amount and forget about it. And this needs to be evaluated annually, taking into consideration your cash flow, the portfolio returns, the inflation, the taxes, all that stuff. Every year we assess our our clients' cash flow needs and update their, we call them retirement income projection plans. I used to call them RIP plans, which actually isn't (laughs) something I really should be calling it for retirees since it sounds a bit more. No, I don't think you should. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So I try not to, I used to remember on agendas, I'd put RIP plans and they're like, what? We're talking about death today. <laughs> this is it. My plan is done. I can't do anything more. <laughs> yeah. So it's retirement income projection plans. So each year we update. And as I mentioned, their cash flow, the portfolio values, current withdrawal rates, and have a discussion as well on if they're going to have any expected large expenses for the year. A lot of them may know what they could be coming up and also potential. So we want to have those discussions because obviously it's important to know that, especially if these large expenses are coming up in 12 to 18 months. And then we take all this info and it goes into our software and shows the client exactly where they are so they don't have to stress about running out of fuel. Remember the whole analogy of mm -hmm. running out of gas on a trip? We want to make sure that clients never feel that way and have that anxiety of running out of fuel. And during the recent market crash that we just all know that we, we just went through in March because of COVID, this report that we ran clients through, it gave them a sense of calm. You could actually see their body language change when we were still meeting face-to-face -face or even in the Zoom meetings and the tone <laughs> of their voice because it was just a very chaotic time at the beginning of this year. And going through this just to help them see, okay, whew. I'm totally fine. Even with the values of much as they've dropped, I have money till after age 90, we're good. So it was really great to see that, that the clients could just see that and then just calm down because there was just all that anxiety of right. the market was right. just dropping and not stopping and everything else. Now the portfolio, it's not as simple as you just add a tap to your current portfolio and start dripping out of income. You need a different tool now because it's a different job, meaning that the portfolio structure has to change. You can't just take the portfolio that you've had designed initially to help you accumulate wealth during the last 10, 20, 30 years of your working years. And like, as I mentioned, jam a tap and turn it off and start dripping out income. Just okay. doesn't work like that. You got to have a retirement income plan. And how we do that is we break the portfolio into three different buckets. The first bucket being a year's worth of your cash flow needs in cash. So remember, this is the sh this isn't all of your income. When I say cash flow needs, this is a shortfall of what you need once you've subtracted all the other guaranteed income sources from your monthly expenses. Okay. Right. Whatever that number is per month times by 12, you want to have that in a cash account for the next year to pay you out. And that's bucket 1. Now, some retirees hate to hear that their money's gonna be sitting in cash. And we just talked about how the interest rates right now are great. But what I go through with them is that this is a tool, the portfolio is a tool. And now you're asking it to do a different job than what it was just doing while you were working. I spend a bit of time on this mind shift for some individuals because they're like, I want equities and they're, they're talking investments and they want it to still be relatively aggressive. And I'm like, you have to change that mind shift in retirement because the game has changed. Right. Can't play golf with a hockey stick. Although if you watch me okay. golf, you would think I am using a hockey stick. <laughs> okay, so now let's get into bucket two. So bucket two is gonna be still a conservative type investment. It's gonna get you more of a return than the cash bucket, which is bucket one, but it's still conservative. And it's gonna be in something such as a high fixed income or bonds. I'm, I'm not getting into the individual specific funds or any advice on that because that's just way too specific. And I'm just trying to, give people a general idea of how this works. So it's going to be, once again, something that gives you more of a return than cash. Once again, I don't mean to touch on the interest rates, but this is a very different interest rate environment. So you have to be quite selective on what you put here to still get you some return. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to mention again, what I mean by income, because I said, we're going to put two years in bucket two. 
is the difference of your cash flow needs net of your guaranteed income sources. And that difference is the income we're taking from the portfolio. So now between bucket one and bucket two, there's approximately three years of the income needed somewhat in a protected environment. But bucket one is what you would use first and then bucket two refills bucket one or do you go to bucket two if suddenly something comes up? Perfect question. Bucket one is the, is the, is the bucket you're going to use in the first year. Now, unexpected expenses come up, that should be coming out ideally out of the other savings that we have. Remember I mentioned? Right, right. So you don't have to screw the buckets up, but <laughs> that's not the case for everyone. And that's why this has to be so individualized because there's so many scenarios, but it's just giving people an idea of kind of how we do this gotcha. process. Now that we've talked about the two buckets, bucket three. So bucket three is the rest of the money in the portfolio. And this is going to be invested basically in a split between equities and fixed income. Now, depending on the individual's risk tolerance, there's going to be more equities here for everyone, but depending on their individual risk tolerance, there may be more equities here for one individual over another. This is definitely the more aggressive part of the portfolio since we just went over the other two buckets, which are very conservative. My clients are really used to me drawing this out on a piece of paper during our reviews since I, and I, I my drawings are horrible, but they always get the idea. <laughs> Why I draw is it helps retirees decrease their anxiety in markets like we've just seen. Like when I've had some retirees call me when their portfolios have gone down significantly because of say a market, and not even significantly because a retiree, your portfolio is not going to be aggressive, but it's just going down more so than they usually see in regular market activity. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it just, when I first started doing this, it just worked so well that they would call and I'm like, stop, stop. Look at the two buckets. How much of those fluctuated? Well, not much. Okay, that is what you're focusing on. I know it's your money, but you got to try and ignore the third bucket. We knew at some point we would be sitting here having this conversation. This was going to happen. We know that. That's the whole reason we have these three buckets. So once they realize they shouldn't be focusing on all three buckets during a market drop, and you can just see the peace of mind that that gives them. So really just look at buckets one and two, let three sit there and do its thing. Which is perfect if it's that simple, but <laughs> when people are looking at their money overall, they don't look at, they're looking at the bottom of the statement on right. what that market value was and saying, well, that was this a month ago. Unfortunately, I get it, it's your money. Yeah. I don't like seeing my money go down either, but as a retiree, that's what you have to focus on because we knew this is going to happen. And that's why we put this planning in place. Now. Let's talk about the opposite. So now in good markets, the opposite's gonna happen, meaning the first two buckets aren't gonna be getting you a whole heck of a lot of return compared to the third bucket. But this is the point. You can't have everything in the portfolio doing the same thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. So this is called a negative correlation for anyone that knows investment terms. And usually this term is for specific funds, but I'm using the context here for the overall portfolio, meaning I don't want market drop, whole portfolio goes down. Market goes up, whole portfolio goes up. You have to have them offsetting each other. Now, how do you make sure the buckets don't run dry? And this goes back to your question, Patrice. Well, we just mentioned that there's going to be years that bucket three, the more equity bucket, doesn't overflow because it's a bad market. And this is okay. We know that's going to happen. And you have the other two buckets. And those will get drained down during that time. And this is what they're meant to do. They're, they're meant to not stay full. Like what we just went through, my, those, my client's first two, first bucket especially was getting drawn down. 
And even some clients in bad markets, they can actually even cut their paycheck. And what I mean by that is in bad markets, they can just choose if, if they feel, or depending where we're at, just to not spend as much if they don't need it. We just went through a prime example of that because of the market drop, people just were not spending money. That's where we were having discussions saying, well, why take it out of your portfolio if it's just going to sit in your bank and you don't even need it and it's just accumulating there anyways, we might as well just cut what you need and you're telling me you're not spending nearly as much. So that's also an option too and and when markets go down, not everyone can have that option because some people, they need everything they're getting from that, but it's just another option. Remember that now out of the first two buckets, we have roughly 36 months of income somewhat protected. And what I will tell listeners is since World War II, the length of recessions has been between six to 16 months, which averages out to about 11 months. Now, it doesn't set anything in stone, but it sure gives you an idea that, okay, the average since World War II has been 11 months and here's 36 months put away, mm-hmm. creating buffers for a recession or if all of a sudden you don't have savings set aside and all of a sudden unexpected other expenses come up, we're giving you a pretty good buffer there and that's how you have to plan. Once the market turns around, back to Patrice, your question on how to eventually fill these up, bucket three will at some point start to overflow and that is when you now take money from bucket two to fill bucket one and take money from bucket three since it's overflowing in a good market to now top up bucket two. And you're doing that in the good markets. Once again, getting over the mindset though, when things are going well, like the summer of 2019, many of my clients will know that retirees, that I was calling them and we were filling up those buckets when things were good. And now your money's going from investments that were doing well to investments that aren't going up as much. But you have to get used to that mindset in retirement. Because once again, it's a different job you're asking this portfolio to do for you. So wrap this up for us, Chris. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot more detail to this whole process, but I'm just trying to simplify it for the listeners so they can kind of get the gist of it. Decide if you can comfortably retire. You need to ask yourself two questions. Do you have enough sufficient assets and benefits to create the income you need to provide the lifestyle you want? And can this income story be sustained through your retirement? This is basically what we've covered today is for you to be able to answer these two important questions if you're thinking of retiring. What I'll mention again, was we kind of touched on this in the other podcast, was retirement doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can use transition to retirement. This is where you're no longer working full-time, but you're also not fully retired, meaning you can gradually move in to the completely retired lifestyle eventually. You don't have to just all of a sudden cut work off. If you're working part-time, like a dollar of employment income is a dollar that you don't have to take from your retirement assets, which can be a good thing. It's not necessarily you're adding to your savings working part-time or casual retirement, but as you reduce your employment income fully and eventually your cash flow needs are completely satisfied by just what you have and you don't need to work, in the interim, you've allowed your income reducing assets to additionally time to grow in the portfolio as well. It makes a lot of sense to uh, continue working at least part-time. Yeah. And I'll just touch, as I mentioned, there's many shades of retirement. There's black, white, and gray. And I mentioned at the beginning of this, if you choose to have a gray retirement, what I mean by that is you're still continuing to work part-time or casual. A black or white retirement, but it doesn't have to be. What I mean by that is you're not going from working 100% full-time to now absolutely nothing. Right. You can choose a gray retirement, which is a combination and gradually getting used to not working. One last thing, there was a Lerma report that stated people need advice from a professional more at this point than at any other time in their life. 
hence the financial advisor. This is a huge transition, as I mentioned. That's why I wanted to do two separate episodes on this because there's a lot of factors that need to be thought out. And a lot of people just think they're just going to kind of fall into retirement. And as we mentioned the last podcast, a lot of people have actually planned more for a two-week holiday than they have their entire retirement. And we don't want this to be our listeners. So if you have any questions in regards to any of this stuff over the last two podcasts, just please contact us through our website. I hope these last two episodes of Retiring Well has helped some maybe pre-retirees kind of get a clear vision on what needs to be done. Any questions, this is what we're here for. Please contact us through our website at threehatsfinancial.ca. Chris, that's really a lot of information. And as you said, Chris Durow of Three Hats Financial, this is part two of a two-part series, Retiring Well. Make sure to check out part one and every other episode of The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth for insight and really very useful information. Subscribe to all the episodes using the subscribe button on this page and share with the share button. I'm Patrice Sakora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of IPC Investment Corporation. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.